your cultural affairs radio magazine show produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. May is Asian American and Pacific American Heritage Month here in the United States. So tonight on Full Circle, we celebrate the lives and the work of several Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Island graduate apprentices. On tonight's show, we'll learn what it can be like when your parents get together through an arranged marriage, We'll hear some great sounds from East Bay Bike Party, and we'll listen to an interview from the late John Trudell. All this and more tonight on Full Circle. We're your hosts. I'm Teresa Adams. And I'm Freewill and Franklin. Please stay with us. Once again, welcome to Full Circle your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program here on KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley. Tonight, we're celebrating Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Before we get started, we want to thank all of you that donated during the fun drive. (laughs) The entire station works very hard to bring you great information through speeches, books, great audio, and DVDs. We also want to send a shout out to the phone room and outreach volunteers. So thank you so much. If you didn't get a chance to donate, you still have an opportunity to do so. Go to kpfa.org. Many of the thank you gifts, including the new hoodie, the vigilant as always hoodie is available online. So again, a big thank you to all the KPFA supporters. We appreciate you. Yes. Thank you very much. So let's move on to our show. Uh, Throughout the month of May, folks celebrate the culture, the traditions, and the history of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. Coming to life in 1977 and 78, House Joint Resolution 1007 authorized then-President Jimmy Carter to declare the first 10 days of May as Pacific Asian American Heritage Week. And we're happy to celebrate that event tonight. Well, 12 years later in 1990, the first President Bush extended it to the entire month of May. Fantastic. It's also a pleasure to be here with Frank tonight. Frank is usually behind the scenes in the control room helping us along the way. But we could not have this show without Frank on the mic. He knows, along with Miss M, our director... Everyone who is involved in this show tonight, and he has the inside scoop. Not only does he have the inside scoop from then, but he also knows what's happening with them today. So it's awesome to have Frank here tonight. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And here in the apprenticeship program, we pride ourselves on the diversity of all the groups that come through the program. Through the application process, we strive to have them be a reflection of our Bay Area communities, and we'd like to celebrate the culture of everyone whenever possible. So tonight, we bring you the sounds of our API and Asian American apprentices. And for our first story of the night, we discover that not everyone meets their soulmate, falls in love, and gets married. In some cultures, children know very well that the person they will marry will not be selected by them themselves, but by their parents. 
Graduate Apprentice V-Star tells us how a near-deadly family tragedy changed her perception of love in an arranged marriage. Did you ever think your parents were in love? I mean, really, truly, crazy in love? I never did. You see, my mother married my father at 16, not even having exchanged two words with him. And at 16, how can someone even figure out attraction, much less love? Here's how the story goes. My gangly mother and her sister happened to get into a taxi already containing two young men they had never seen before. After getting in, my mother couldn't help but notice the intense stare from one of these well-dressed boys. More like googly-eyed. He was like a deer in headlights and couldn't pull his eyes away from her. Even looking down, she could feel the full force of his glare on her. Less than a month later, they were married. (laughs) Not your average love story. How does love come out of this? Disgusting, isn't it? At the age of 16, to be given to someone because of a chance encounter? A mere whim? It's downright sacrilegious. But the funny thing is, arranged marriage is not sacrilegious, but the exact opposite. It is practiced and fully encouraged in the Hindu religion. Growing up, the movements of my parents were always constrained. When telling a joke, they would smile at me, even laugh or snort out loud. But they never smiled at each other. They would discuss me like some project and move with a deep familiarity around each other. But there was some kind of force field around each of their bodies. If their skin came within one inch of each other, they would repel like opposite magnets. No hugs, no touching, and definitely no kissing. The thought of my parents having even produced me was terrifying. Sex? Between my parents? Unthinkable. I grew up thinking, but so wanting not to believe it. My parents were in a loveless marriage. How did they come to this? How could they let go of their wants? And on top of it, how dare they put me through this? Make me their excuse for deciding to spend their entire lives together? Watching day in and day out as their force fields moved around each other? This is the way our culture is, I'm told. And besides, love marriages are no better, right? They result in even more divorces than arranged ones. What is this love-dove stuff anyways? I got out of my house as soon as I could. And at college, I always wondered, what are they doing without me, besides calling me every day? I felt so guilty for leaving them alone with each other, to pass the moments by in the odd silence they always held with each other. And then I received the phone call. 27 years after the taxi ride, my parents were hit by a drunk driver. Their car, going at 70 miles per hour, was hit by a foster, reckless driver. And they rolled. Not once, not twice, but three times before stopping in a ditch off the highway. I was frantic. I couldn't think straight. These two people, my people, were being transported to the hospital, and I had no idea how hurt they were. 
24 hours later, I was finally there, sleep-deprived and on the verge of panic. My father had already gone through two operations to stabilize his broken neck and heart. My mother had one to reinforce broken bones in her back. She had already been moved out of the ICU into a different ward. My father, however, was still in danger. In and out of consciousness because of the meds, his eyes were closed when I came upon him. With tubes plugged into his wrists and a large breathing tube stuck down his throat for oxygen. He was pale. Yes, even dark men can pale. And he looked so small amongst all those white things. Sheets, pillows, tubes, bandages, blankets. I never knew he was mortal until then. I stood there, holding his cold, thin hand, waiting for him to wake. A few minutes in, he opened his eyes and looked at me, disoriented. He looked around frantically, unable to speak because of the tube. I tried calming him down, but it wasn't working. He looked at me, questioning, almost pleading. I didn't know what to do. At that moment, the nurse wheeled my mother in. And what happened next, I will never forget. My mother came to the side of the bed and put her hand on my father's cheek. And my father's eyes changed from anguish, panic, chaos to pure, unfettered devotion. Here was the thing I had been looking for for so long, and it was right there, always growing, always pulsing, right there in front of me. We grew up watching, listening, believing in love stories, in a myth of love through encounters, through passion, through infatuation. We grow up thinking this is love. What transpired in those seconds between my parents blows it all away. To full circle right here on KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley. What a beautiful story. What a touching story. Um, that was the voice of graduate apprentice B Star with her story about her parents' arranged marriage. In that story, Val- Virali describes how she learned that sometimes love is there, even if you think you don't see it. B Star, aka Virali Gokaldis, was part of Group 35, Sunlo Sauti Sunlo Ongea. The rough translation is listen, voice, listen, talk. She, along with her cohort, who we will hear more from later in the show, produced Full Circle from late 2010 through September 2011 when they graduated the program. 
Some other stories Virali covered were Islamophobia, government spying, racial profiling, and other cultural and social issues. Currently, you will find V-Star using her storytelling skills, keeping children and families safe from toxic chemicals as the Director of Communications for the Center of Environmental Health here in Oakland. She especially serves communities of color. Virali, keep up the great work, and we should get you back on the mic in your new capacity as the Communications Director. Nice. Uh, Once again, we're celebrating Asian American and Pacific Island Heritage Month. And as we mentioned earlier, this started in 1977 through 1978. In its inception, the first 10 days of May were chosen to highlight the immigration of the first Japanese to the United States on May 7, 1843. We know that date is debatable. And it was also chosen to mark the anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad on May 10, 1869. Most of the workers who laid the tracks were Chinese immigrants. Let's continue with the stories. Next up, we hear from Sam Mendes, Sam Mendes Wong, a.k.a. Shaolin B-Boy. Sam liked to experiment in radio as well as other areas of his life. He studied and taught martial arts and is an avid bike rider. Here, Sam shares his love for biking with his feature on the East Bay Bike Party. Imagine you and your friends are out for a night of fun in the East Bay, and then all of a sudden you are beset by zombies or aliens or cowboys swarming around you, flashing lights, ringing bells, and yelling, Bike party! What would you do? Well, if you had your bicycle, you could join them. The East Bay Bike Party is a loosely organized event that gathers cyclists together and directs them along different paths around the East Bay. It meets on the second Friday of the month and has been going since May of 2010. Every ride is a different theme, a different route, and different friendly folks to ride with. In September, I attended the Western-themed East Bay Bike Party, which started in Berkeley and wound its way through Albany, Emeryville, and West Oakland to see how they really roll in. Push on a pedal, push on a pedal, get your heart started. Push on a pedal, push it down and up again. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around. What are you guys doing right now? Oh, man, we're on the East Bay Bike Party, baby. East Bay Bike Party. East Bay Bike Party. This is called the East Bay Bike Party. What we do is just get together once a month, second Friday of the month, and we just ride bikes. This is East Bay Bike Party, and it's modeled after San Jose Bike Party. All right, San Jose in the house! Which has been going on for about two years. And down there in San Jose, they have uh, they have upwards to 4,000 people to come out for that. The San Jose one is actually much more uh, bigger, I think. It's like 1,000, 2,000 people. I don't know how many. but uh... Man, I love these bike parties, man. I've gone to the San Jose one uh, for a couple years now, but this is actually my first East Bay Bike Party. This is our fifth ride. The last ride, I believe we had around 300 people. We started with about 100 on the first ride and just been slowly kind of gaining some momentum. It's about 15 miles. And just a bunch of people that come out here on a bike, whether it be tricked out or not, just get on a bike and ride and uh, let these uh, let these cars know that the cyclists, uh, they got the same rights on the, uh, on the road. <laughs> Especially through the tunnel. 
bring it up, but it, it's like Critical Mass, but with uh, a less aggro feel. We stay over to the right on the road as much as possible. We stop for stoplights. It's just a general uh, positive vibe. You know, everybody's dressed up like cowboys and whatnot tonight. So it's it's we try to have fun as much as possible. I think that people start to realize that we're just out to have a lot of fun. Almost all the riders who join up say they have a lot of fun. Less confrontational than Critical Mass. The point of Critical Mass is sort of that just take over the road, block traffic, and just you know, clog the intersection. If you've ridden Critical Mass, you know that there's often confrontations with drivers, and that's why there's there's pol- a police presence there. There's a feeling among some of us that um, antagonizes or creates some conflict that's unnecessary, and there's already conflict on the road. So um, I think there's already a feeling that bikes do belong on the road, and that there's much less incidences where people are getting run off the road or yelled at or honked at than there used to be. In the past, I made a very important statement that the bikes belong. I think bicycles belong on the streets as vehicles. I do critical mass in San Francisco. I like how it's a little more kind of laid back and chilled out than critical mass. And people don't seem to get as frustrated with bicyclists. And it's really amazing by just having a few simple rules, like stopping at a stoplight. Just showing a little bit of respect to our fellow humans actually gets you pretty far. Generally, people are pretty well behaved. And, you know, surprisingly, people can have fun and follow the rules at the same time weird I, I guess there's just a certain energy you know there's just a whole bunch of people strangers basically get together they're all having fun it's a, it's a beautiful thing are you riding tonight yeah we've ridden through all areas of east oakland and west oakland and albany and el cerrito and we generally get an amazing response people are usually really excited to see us come through i was walking down the street and i saw some like a hundred people on some bikes it was insane that was so crazy it made me laugh it made me happy at the same time i wanted to get a bike and ride it yeah exactly. i'm going next month it was inspiration watching people come out of their houses and yell bike party and um, people have been generally pretty supportive. It really is kind of just about positive energy. Everybody else who's not a part of it can kind of enjoy it as it's going by. So we're going up to Albany, down to Emeryville, kind of through West Berkeley and make it. When you ride through some of these communities, you'll see people coming out on their front stoops, coming out on their front porch, like peeking out the window because they're like, oh my God, like what is going on? And all you got to say is bike party! And they kind of like get it. It's all about sharing that love of riding a bicycle. Once the ride gets going, it does start to break up because we do stop at lo- stoplights and do obey the traffic laws. It does start to break up into smaller rides. So it's actually not a group ride of 300 people. It breaks up into rides of 20 people at a time. Hey, you guys, we're stopping every group in here, so get your butt supplies. There's a theme this month that's uh, a Western theme. Last month it was superheroes, and the month before that it was um, alien theme, costumes, lights. There's a lot of lights. There's generally a lot of music. Once you've ridden Bike Party, you kind of understand, like, how there can be a, a party on bikes, you know? It's just a party atmosphere. But also you just get to see a bunch of people having fun using the streets a different way than they normally do or you're used to. And I hope that it makes life a little lighter. You just got to ride your bike. You got to get out, ride to work every day. Screw the cars. It's people getting out here and riding that necessarily wouldn't be riding purely for the for the joy of it or they just 
don't ride much at all. You know, just getting your bike out. And some people really feel uncomfortable on the streets and getting an opportunity where they can ride in a group or ride with others. Um, we'll get them out on the street and get them riding and hopefully riding more outside of the ride. So there's a lot of people, a lot of first-time riders who come out here because they feel safe and they feel comfortable riding with a large group of people. And at the same time, you know, they feel safe bringing their kids because there is that uh, respect for other people on the road. It's going to probably continue to grow. My hopes is it'll stay somewhere. Un- I don't want it to get as big as it does in San Jose. I don't think that the streets could really support that mass of riders. So I'm hoping that it stays somewhere around 500 people because I think that's really manageable and that uh, the atmosphere of a party and everybody enjoying themselves continues. That's my hope for it. For Full Circle, this is Sam, the Shaolin B-Boy, on the Bay Area Bike Beat. Talking about, keep them rolling. That's right, bike party! party. Welcome back. You're listening to Full Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley. And that was the voice of graduate apprentice Sam Mendiwong, a.k.a. the Shaolin B-Boy. Maybe you noticed that Sam told that story barely using his own voice, but instead those of the bike party participants. And Sam is currently working in communications and marketing for the greater good, of course, as part of the Mosaic Project in Oakland. And just so you know, the bike party continues. They had a ride uh, two weeks ago. They'll have another one in June. They usually meet at their location at 730, and they usually depart at 8. So if you want more information, go to eastbaybikeparty.wordpress.com. We'll also have a link to the event on our webpage. We'll be right back after the break. Up now is Bay Area Raptivism artist Aisha Fukushima with her single, Breathe. from society Some days it's hard to get up Inspiration's what it takes and I got enough Building faith in community Looking past my heart to see Free I be We be Free I be We be Don't try to be Beautifully, 
Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine. Each week we bring you sounds and stories produced by apprentices of KPFA's First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We just heard from Aisha Fukushima performing her single, Breathe. And before the break, we heard Sam Mindy Wong, who shared his excitement of East Bay Bike Party. Full Circle actually featured Aisha on our show back in 2013. We will post a link to that show on the website, kpfaapprentice.org. Be sure to check it out. Yes, definitely check that out. It was an awesome show. And tonight we are honoring API Asian Pacific Islanders and Asian American producers from the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. All these stories and interviews are from graduate apprentices and were chosen in honor of Asian Pacific Islander and American Asian American Heritage Month. And we want, to, we want to quickly remind you that even though the fun drive is officially over, it's never too late to support your favorite radio station with a gift. That gift will allow us to continue to produce great music, great programming, and, enjoy, and for your enjoyment. Also, your gift supports not only KPFA, but the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. So go to kpfa.org and give us a click. And we thank you in advance. Now we have an interview from two dear people who have passed on to the spirit realm. But thanks to audio recording, they left us with some wonderful memories. John Watanabe was an apprentice in 2003 and 2004. In the latter year, he interviewed American Indian activist John Trudell. Here's an excerpt from that interview. The Native American culture is known for respecting its elders, and you've now been an activist for a long time. Can you tell us how the passage of time has affected your outlook on life? I'm coming to understand that our life is maybe like seasons. You know, we're born and we're small children, and that's a season. We become young adults, and that's a season. We become adults, that's a season. And as we start to age, we become elders, and that's another season. So it's like a living lesson. So we live our lives and we have experiences. And we have these experiences. The experiences we have, we were given intelligence as human beings. So with this intelligence, we're supposed to learn from our experiences. And this is how we accumulate knowledge. If we learn from our experiences, we will accumulate knowledge. And then as we accumulate knowledge, then the next thing is to understand the knowledge that we've accumulated. And I think that we should live our lives non-judgmentally. I don't think we have the right nor the responsibility to judge, but I do think we have the responsibility to recognize. We need to recognize the lives that we've lived. We need to recognize the reality that we're in, not judge it, because when we're judging it, we can't recognize it. We can't see it clearly because we're judging it. It's already tainted by the judgment. We need to be able to recognize the lives that we live, recognize ourselves, no judgment. Recognize, and, and in our recognition, if there are things in there we don't like or can't handle, because we recognize it, we can put it away. So I find that life is, as we go through our life, first we have the questions, then we'll have answers. But I think we will, we will be synchronized when we understand the answers that we have. Understand what we know. It's understanding. The more I just more and more think that that the objective of life, that the, the goal in life is to is about reaching understanding. If we can attain understanding, I think we can balance many aspects of our lives, individually, collectively. 
in many communities, there seems to be a sense of powerlessness. Do you have any suggestions for how we can deal with that sense of powerlessness? To deal with the sense of powerlessness, I think that we as individuals have to look inward to ourselves and recognize ourselves. I think that, you know, we have to recognize that we're human beings and what it means to be a human being, what a human being's relationship is to life and universe. I think we must recognize these, selves, these things about ourselves within ourselves before we can truly start to overcome the sense of powerlessness because I think the sense of powerlessness has to be overcome one individual at a time. And I think as one individual at a time starts to overcome the sense of powerlessness, it has, a, it has this collective effect of helping others. But I, I think it comes back, it's, we must know ourselves, we must understand who we are and what our abilities are. We, we have to be real to ourselves. And when we're real to ourselves, we, we would understand what power really is. See, we don't have a clear understanding of what power is. We've been programmed to believe that the more money we get, the more powerful we become. But that's not true. I mean, the more money we get, that gives us access to authority. We've been programmed to believe that to have the strongest military makes you the most powerful. But that's not true. What that having a strong military does gives, is give you access to authority. See, and there's a difference between authority and power. And we need to understand that there's a difference between authority and power. But as long as we believe authority is power, then we're never going to understand ourselves in, re in relationship to power. So there's a whole lot of thinking, <laughs> all right, that's going to ha that has to go on before we're going to ever effectively deal with this pervasive sense of powerlessness. We, we have to think. There's a lot of thinking that we have to do. We have to use our intelligence and activate the power of our intelligence in order to have certain recognitions, the recognition of power. But we live in an authoritarian system. You know, George Bush is not a powerful man. He's a man in a position of authority. And there is a difference. Power is something that is in us. Truly powerful people don't need to impose authority. That reality of power works on respect. In a way, to me, the absence of power works on authority. How important do you think non-corporate community media is these days, John? I think that non-corporate community media is the last, what I would say, free voice of the people. Because whatever, whatever goes on within grassroots and community media, this is coming straight directly from the people. It, it's got, it expresses the feelings and concerns and questions and observations of the people themselves. And I think that maybe in America, other than maybe some small town newspapers, a few places, that this is really the only venue we have left to be able to speak and communicate in this country. All the other medias is just basically there to serve corporate need, not community. Do you think that one of the objectives of the corporate media is to divide us? I think that dividing the population, an oppressor's division of the population is, I think that's just, that's just how it works. And because when you look just in a larger picture, there's been every aspect of this population has been divided in one way or another. So when community radio starts to emerge and evolve and it's representing the voices of the people, then someone's going to try to manipulate division amongst these people, too. It's just, it's the way, it seems to be the way the system operates. And it's up to us to understand that it operates that way so that we can resolve our differences more coherently. Do you have a short poem you could share with us? Uh, 
Ah, uh, let me think here a minute. I have to think about this off the top of my head. Putting a face on God, divine madness. These wars between evil, even good has to hide. The wrath of the righteous, awakening a dormant mean. Dirty, calling itself clean. When an extreme is right, an extreme is left. With all this hate going around, rage has no time to rest. More than thousands dies when pain comes from the skies. Debris of Palestine and Wall Street. We are all the innocent, some more than others, but we are all the innocent, while to the gods of war, we're just a way of keeping score. And with gods on everybody's side, spirit knows hard time is coming. Earth dreads the waiting blood while death makes a list. Who would have ever thought virtual reality would come to this? And that's from Face on God. From the Grassroots Radio Conference, this is John Watanabe for Full Circle. Woo! Wise words from two wise men gone too soon. Um, welcome back, everyone. This is Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. Those were the voices of John Watanabe, graduate apprentice, and American Indian activist John Trudell. As we mentioned in the intro, both of these beautiful souls have transitioned onto the spirit world, but their voices and memories will live on in the stories, interviews, and the music they have created. Thank you, John and John. Wow. Um, wow. We continue our special broadcast honoring Asian and Pacific American Heritage Month. Up next, we have a great piece from Apprentice Jen Chen, who graduated in 2011. I love the way she explains how one simple phrase can have so much meaning. Here is Jen's piece titled, The Meaning of Guangxi, an essay. The Chinese characters for the word guanxi suggest relationship in the Chinese dictionary, which carries multiple connotations that are incompatible when translated in a single English word. The Chinese Hanyu Dictionary gives the term guanxi at least five usages. 1. The concept of guanxi is used to denote the existence of a relationship between people who share a common status group or are related to a common person. The old man stands directly in front of me, swaying with the motion of the subway car. Smiling hopefully, his eyes crinkle up, revealing teeth the color of antique ivory teeth like my grandfather's. As soon as he stepped onto the train, I felt his eyes lock onto my Asian face and knew he would approach me. The costume of my spiky bleached hair and exposed tattoos meant nothing to him against the irrefutable fact of my face. I can feel the need rolling off him like a scent. He says something in a dialect I don't speak. I answer in Cantonese the only way I can. I'm sorry. I don't understand. 2. Guanxi is used to describe a way of behaving which is relatively diplomatic, involving practices such as regular visiting, reciprocal exchange of favors, and gifts. He reaches into the pocket of his thin and dirty windbreaker and holds something out toward me, his hands afflicted with some kind of palsy as if shaking invisible tambourines. I look down to see some handwritten Chinese characters on a ripped scrap of paper. I can't read them. I can recognize my name and a few characters like person or small, but to my parents and my own shame, I'm not at all literate. I stare for a few seconds at the paper, trembling in his hands like a dry leaf on the end of a branch. I can't help him. I say, 
I'm sorry, in English. Immediately, my body tightens with the fear of seeming too flippant, the typical American-born Chinese shooing away the fob with a mixture of amusement and disgust. On the outside, though, I arrange my face into what I hope is a look of benevolent understanding as he turns away from me and scans the train for anyone who might be able to help. 3. Guanxi can be used as a verb, adjective, or noun that indicates a consequential relationship, which is cause and effect. He finds her across the aisle, a middle-aged Chinese woman reading a Chinese book. His eyes lock onto her the way they had onto me, and he shuffles toward her across the bucking floor of the train. He hesitates before dropping heavily into the empty seat beside her, and I burn with shame imagining his hesitation is because of my inability to help. As he shyly presents his scrap of paper to her, I try to imagine this man's life, how he ended up here, alone and depending on the kindness of strangers. The other passengers are watching too, and I feel their judgment of him as if it were directed at me. They see a pitiful old man in dirty clothes, hands shaking, and on top of all that, his foreignness, his inability to seek help from anyone on the train except myself and that woman. I think of the lines that connect people and the lines that divide. 4. Guanxi could be used as an indicator of a causal relationship between two facts. I see a smile break his face open when she responds in his dialect. She reads the scrap of paper, her brow wrinkling as she tries to make sense of it. He waits patiently next to her, shifting his weight from hip to hip, tucking his hands into his armpits as if to hide their trembling. Finally, she says something definitive to him, and he looks relieved as he folds and places the paper gently back into his pocket. 5. Guanxi can be used as a term of bearing forgiveness, for example, if one person says, I'm sorry for being late, they may receive a reply such as, Mei guanxi, or it doesn't matter. I silently watch as he leans back into the plastic seat and looks around, blinking, as she resumes her reading. The train rockets through the dark tunnel. Then I hear it, a small, slurred shishi. He says thank you in Mandarin, and her brusque, not unkind brush-off, it doesn't matter. But for me, it means the world. Welcome back. Another beautiful story. Um, this is KPFA Pacifica Radio, and this is Full Circle. Tonight, we are celebrating and honoring Asian Pacific Islander and Asian American Heritage Month. The voice you just heard was that of graduate apprentice Jen Chien. She, too, was part of Group 35, Sunlo Sauti Sunlo Ongea, or Listen Voice, Listen Talk. Currently, you will find or hear Jen over at San Francisco's KALW Public Radio. There, she is the managing, managing editor of Cross Currents and the KALW News. Other places you may find, other places you may have heard from Jen, Chien, are All Things Considered, Radio Netherlands Worldwide, also BBC and PRI's The World, Making Contact, and numerous other public publications. And, of course, right here at KPFA, where she broke into the radio world as part of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Jen is also very passionate about dance and theater, and much of her radio work reflects that fact. Jen also enjoys being a new mother. Congratulations, Jen, and keep on dancing. 
And one cool side note, uh, we once saw Jen dance on the side of the woman's building in San Francisco as part of a vertical dance crew. Awesome. It was awesome, of course. It was like 180 to 100 feet up in the air, and it was after sunset. They had some cool colored lighting. And I recently told her that a vision of mine is to see her ride a whale in a 3D projection vertical wall dance. So it's just a thought. <laughs> and uh, we'll post a link to Jen's K-A-L-W work on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Okay, that was another big shout-out to Sunlo Salty, Sunlo Onge. We'll be back right after this break. How can I continue to spit when my people still hungry and broke? What does music have to do with organizing my folks? That's like thinking that a vote can overthrow the system. Who's a thug? It's a president that's doing a feminist's self-criticism. Yes, I gotta admit that I got contradictions and I'm trying to fix. Petty, bougie, semi-proletariat conditioning. Time to do less speaking and practice listening. Practice discipline. Watch what you do. How can I create change when I'm shopping for shoes? Or sitting in my living room watching the tool? Need to go out to the hood and stop following through. Gotta listen to the people when they holler at you. Whether they show you mad love or they call you a fool. Don't spit none of it out, swallow all of it, dude. It's about time change coming long overdue. Uh, how I'm gonna put a hundred bucks on my feet? When my cousins in the Philippines ain't got no eats and most sleep in the same exact spot as the rats. When I can buy my whole house with the clothes on my back. How can I rap to a soundtrack of blood and lies and let satellite TV control our lives. I'll die before I let my voice go unheard. Should Palestinian children be native guns concerned? I turn to my wife in the middle of the night and try to differentiate between a wrong and a right. Despite it all, strip malls and new bills, tummy tucks, video whole butts, kids on pills. I still try my damnest to manage all of my demons. Stop looking for excuses and turning them into reasons. I'm leaving my skeletons in a closet at last. Is there a heaven for a revolutionary I ask? Uh, look in the mirror, tell me what do you see? Is he true? Is he perfect? Is he actually free? Look in the mirror, tell me what do you see? Is she happy? Is she perfect? Is she actually free? Say I'm good. Could be better. Say I will. Make a change for the better. Say I'm good. Could be better. Say I will. Make a change for the better. I'd rather die my feet than live on my knees. Rather die for the people than live for the cheese. Native guns got you covered 360 degrees. Going back on the offensive as we hit them with these. From the bottom on up, bring the power back to the masses. And won't stop till society is classless. Death to the fascists. Long live the movement. The sound of us moving is like the sound of music. The truth is when we shoot this barrel men on smash. To colonize our insecurities and murder our past. To put a flag on our fears like we conquered it, boy. Yeah, welcome back. That's Filipino-American hip-hop artist Native Guns, and that was their track, Look in the Mirror. Nice, nice. Okay, Frank, it seems we're almost at that time. We've come full circle, no pun intended. We've talked about marriage and love and life and biking, and now... We're going to hear an excerpt from a graduate apprentice who was also one of the program's co-directors. That would be Renee Giesler. Renee is a believer in the power of stories to ignite change. 
Around the world, storytelling is used as a rich and vibrant way to pass on traditions and lessons and can be e- and can even be used to sway public opinion. In this excerpt from her feature on Ethnotech Asian American Storytelling Theater, Renee and her guests explore the power of storytelling. Once upon a time, mukashi, mukashi ni, a long time ago, unang panahon, and far, far away. These are the words that invite you into the magic of stories. Nancy Wong and Robert Kikuchi and Goho have been telling stories for the last 25 years. They are the founders of Ethnotech. Asian American Storytelling Theater in San Francisco. Ethnotech performs throughout the United States and abroad with several storytelling theater programs. They have seen the powerful impact that storytelling can have. These words, once upon a time, have been heard, you know, in some person's life somewhere along the route. And when they when they hear it, it's like they get this look that's that's magical. What I like about it is seeing the audience just go through, like casting a spell. And then, of course, with storytelling, it touches heart. It creates a community of listening. And so it's got all the great things about art that, that touch people. Ethnotech's mission is to build cultural bridges that celebrate our humanity, embrace our differences, and create compassionate communities through the performance of Asian and Asian American stories that touch upon our universal truths. Robert says that storytelling is often misunderstood. It's not just for children, but for people young and old. There have been storytelling traditions in all cultures around the world for thousands of years, and some are still very active and very live today. For adults, there are very sophisticated uh, myths and, and folk tales. Our stories are usually very value-oriented, so it touches their heart, it touches their imagination, And it touches where they are in life right now, even though these stories are ancient. But that's why they've lasted this long, because they are so important. They have something to say and to convey. And stories would often imitate what was going on in the government, but using metaphor instead. And so even though the story might sound like it's about monkeys or about a fool, you know, a trickster, it was actually about the czar or about... You know, your governors, or like president, that, or the kink, or the president. <laughs> and now, from Tibet, an ancient story that has lots of relevancy for now. Indeed. And we call this story Monkey, Monkey Moon. Moon. Namo, Namo. Namo, Namo. Once a golden full moon shone upon a beautiful forest with a beautiful pond. The pond was so smooth, so crystal clear, that the water's surface was like a big, bright mirror. Now near this pond stood a towering tree, and that was the home of a band of... Monkeys! Chit-chat-chittery! Chit-chit! 
and from high in the branches to the pond below, they looked and they saw <gasps> something aglow. Look down there, a golden moon. I want it. I want it. The, the monkeys croon. The moon, the moon. They screech with glee. When suddenly a voice said, "It's not for you. It's meant for me." Who? It was their monkey chief, their almighty king, who ruled over these monkeys and everything. That golden moon is mine alone, and I command this from my golden throne. I want it now, not later, not soon. Go get it for me. Go fetch that moon. So uh, the monkeys lined up. In numerical fashion, hailed their chief with patriotic passion. We'll, we'll fetch, fetch the, the moon, moon for you, dear chief. chief. If that's what you want, we'll be your thieves. So one at a time, down a long, thin branch, each single monkey took a chance. Each stretched to fetch that golden disc. Oh, but each failed, though each monkey put his own life at risk. For the tree was quite tall, and the pond far below—a difficult task for any monkey, you know. The chief, now anguished and paled, jumped up and commanded, "Grab hand to tail!" Oh, hand to tail! Chee 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 chee! They saluted their chief. Hand to tail it shall be. So the first one climbed out on the limb, and the second one followed after him. The third and the fourth were right behind, and so on and so forth down the line. Hand to tail! Chee 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 chee! Hand to tail! Hand to tail it shall be. And when not a single monkey remained, they cheered. Look, we've made a monkey chee chee chain. Now the monkey at the bottom of that monkey chain, with all her might, she stretched and strained. She reached for that moon in the shining pool, but when she failed to reach it, the chief cried, "You fool! All of you are fools! You failed all night. Do I have to do it myself to get it done right?" Down, down the chain he climbed as each monkey chattered and chimed. Hand to tail, hand to tail, the chief is coming. The monkeys hailed. Ah, the moon and the water was so golden bright that the king's eyes glowed golden with greedy delight. With the moon in my hands, I'll be the emperor of the night. So, <laughs> this very fat chap of a chief did reach. He stretched and he strained a magnificent feat. The monkeys cheered their big chief on as he bobbed up and down toward that moon in the. Pond. When suddenly above them was the tiniest of sounds, snap! And when the monkeys looked up, the branch went crack. Down, down, down! Monkeys tumbling into the pool. These loyal little monkeys and their majesty, the fool. Splash went the king in his royal chain of commands, as a thousand little moons rippled through their dripping hands. The king uttered not a word. His wet head bowed, his dripping crown shining before his dampened crown. All the other monkeys looked up and howled as a mocking golden moon slipped behind a silver cloud. Now, Now it's more than all right to reach for the moon or to climb out on a limb. But to follow a foolish leader is to follow to a foolish end. Chit chat chittery, chit chit. The end. Ethnotech performs Pan Asian and Asian American stories spanning West, Central, South, and Southeast Asia, including Iraq, Afghanistan. 
India, Nepal, Bhutan, China, Japan and Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, and Indonesia. They view Asian American storytelling as an interweaving of the East and West. All right, welcome back. Another beautiful story. This is Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. And that was an excerpt from a feature on Ethnotech, Asian American Storytelling Theater. That was by graduate apprentice Renee Giesler. And as we mentioned, Renee was also one time the co-director of this apprenticeship program. She is also part of a Peabody award-winning team for the PRX Crossing East Asian American History Series. Of course, KPFA was just the beginning for her life's work. She is currently working with two other young women using all of her skills as one of the co-founders of Mamacita's Cafe. And Mamacita's is an Oakland-based, socially conscious business whose mission is to create fair-wage jobs for young women of color ages 18 to 24 and to extend employment and leadership opportunities for youth in transition from the child welfare system and the juvenile justice systems. Also, Mamacita's is currently raising funds to open their own brick-and-mortar space. They do catering for parties and special events and bring their unique menu of donut kebabs, Red Bay coffee, and other custom foods. You can check them out online at Mamacita's Cafe. But, of course, we will also have a link on our website at kpfaapprentice.org. Nice. Those are some great stories. Well, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Um, thanks for listening to our Asian Pacific Islander, Asian American Heritage special broadcast. And we only just scratched the surface of our API and Asian American producers. I'm going to give a quick shout out to some of the others we didn't hear from tonight, like Robin Takayama, uh, Jin Lei, Apale Coleman, Carl Jugbundan Singh, Jane Chang White. Gloria Lowe, Shwanika Narayan, Gil Cho, Jenna Hota, Lawton Chen, Pui Man, Niku Desi, Yvonne Tran, Kyung Jin Lee, and there are so many, many more. Also, we've had apprentices from countries around the world, uh, Korea-American, Vietnamese-American, Indian-American, Chinese-American, from Samoa, Japanese-American. We even had apprentices from Catalonia. I, myself, and others have been Native American. We've had apprentices from Puerto Rico, Mexico, El Salvador, Morocco, Turkey, Iranian-American apprentices, and also from Colombia. And I'm sure there's many, many more. And one more time before we say goodnight, we want to thank everyone who donated during our hour and during this fun drive. Thank you very much. Yay. Your support not only helps KPFA, but everyone in the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. So once again, we thank you and please donate if you can at kpfa.org or you could also still call uh, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Yes. And I just want to say I am so proud to be an apprentice right now or every day, but really right now. Those stories were amazing. They were so well put together, and they just had so much meaning behind them. I am just amazed. And just listening to all the um, stories on in the archives, it was just amazing to hear the different stories that people were interested in telling at that time and what actually ended up on the air. 
And now some of that stuff is still actually relevant right now. It's a full circle moment again, as I say, Frank. <laughs> well, our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is myself right here, Free Will and Frank Sterling. And our production consultant is Joy Moore. We Joy have been Joy. your hosts. I'm Free Will and Franklin. I'm Teresa Adams. And a big shout out to David on the board, Kat, uh, Stephen, Steve, and someone else is over there. Sharon. Sharon. Good shout out to the new apprentices. Also, don't forget tomorrow if you have time, come out to the East Lake Music Festival tomorrow at Lake Merritt, 1 p.m. till 9 p.m. Some folks from the Full Circle crew will be out there gathering some sounds and interviews. Now, stay tuned. La Onda Bajita is next. Thank you. Peace. Thank you.